Today we begin a new series of messages entitled Aftermath. And so I'm going to give you, a, this is a rhetorical question, you don't have to answer it, but it's kind of a participation, at least in the sense of thinking about it, okay? So just think about it. I'm going to give you three things. They all have something in common, all right? Here we go. Three things. First, three Snickers bars eaten one after another, a tsunami, and a 30-mile bike ride. You say, what in the world do those have in common? Well, let me, let me help, help, you that, help you with it. Three Snickers bars eaten in right one after another. I'm going to tell you something. That is like heaven on earth. Snickers, it's like the best thing in the world. But I'm going to tell you something. Something's going to happen. You're going to have this immense sugar rush. And you're going to get pumped up. And man, we're all feeling great. And then about 20 minutes later, you got the enormous sugar crash. That's an after effect of eating three Snickers bars. Now, a tsunami. Now, I, I will tell you. A tsunami, once it leaves, it's a mess of epic proportion. And what it does, there's, there's catastrophe, there's cleanup, there's all kinds of things. What is it? That is an after effect of a tsunami. What about a 30-mile bike ride? Well, for me, that 30-mile bike ride turned into the worst sunburn I've ever had in my entire life. So where I'm sitting in vinegar water trying to take the sting and the pain away, which didn't help, by the way, all that to say, all that to say, there are after effects of these things. And it's interesting, when you, when you look or you define what aftermath is, here is the, here's the definition of aftermath. The consequences of or after effects of the event. I really like that idea of the event. Why? Because there is no greater event in all of human history than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there are after effects. There, there is an aftermath of that event. So over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about aftermath. What does that look like in the lives of people? What does it look like? What are events that are connected to this resurrection? Because once the resurrection occurred, the after effects, the aftermath of that has changed everything. But it's interesting, too, when you begin to look or do a little research on just the word aftermath and what kind of images you come up with or stories connected to the word aftermath, something happens. Most of it's negative. There's very little that's positive. You, you look at this word aftermath, and it all seems to be negative. But when it comes to the aftermath of the resurrection, there's nothing but positives. It's incredible. In fact, you could add every adverb that you can possibly think of to describe the power of the aftermath of the resurrection. You see, because of the resurrection, we have hope. We can be optimistic. We can be healed, made whole, given purpose, restored. It is an incredible, in fact, it is the event of all events. And the aftermath of that event is what we're going to talk about for a few, for a few moments this morning and for these next number of weeks. And a scripture I used last week, I, want to re, I just want to revisit that with us. And it is Proverbs chapter 23, verse 18. And please carry this with you. You, you have a wonderful future ahead of you. There is hope for you yet. And the reason that we can say that is because Jesus Christ 
is alive. That's not just a message for Easter Sunday. That is a message for every day. So I'll just say it this way. Jesus, a week after Easter, is still alive today, and there is still hope for us today and for tomorrow. I'm grateful for that. So we're going to spend some moments with that, and we're going to talk about someone today that I was thinking about this this week. I don't think I've ever, I've ever preached, I've ever taught on this particular person. We're going to talk about Mary Magdalene today. Mary Magdalene. And we find this aftermath story in John chapter number 20. So if you have your worship guide, you can find the scriptures there. Turn in your Bibles or that electronic version to John chapter 20. We're going to begin reading at verse number 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned, her, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. It is a, it's a great story. It's a great story of a, a really an amazing woman. So we want to talk a little bit about her today. Who was she? Well, her name is Mary. She was from a little fishing village on the western side of the, of the Sea of Galilee by the name of Magdala. That, and that's really about all we know, other than she's mentioned 12 times in Scripture. And then there's some certain things that occur in her life that are very, very significant. We read about this in Luke chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12, now listen to this, the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, Mag- Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. What did we discover? We discovered the first thing about Mary is that Jesus healed her. And she, she has some... There's some note here that I think is is important. Very few of the miracles of Jesus is is the person named. But Mary is named. That kind of sets her apart. So something very special has happened in Mary's life. The second thing that we learn is that the women here, including Mary, provided for Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't working necessarily. He had been a carpenter. He'd grown up in a carpenter's home. But at the age of about 30, he went out and began to preach the good news all around, all of them around the region. So these women gathered alongside he and his disciples, and they supported that particular ministry. And then the third thing that we learned is that she witnessed Jesus' crucifixion and burial. Now, why is that significant? Well, one of the things that we learn about Mary is that she was one of the few that were at the cross when Jesus was crucified and actually died. Understand, all the other disciples ran away. She was one of the only ones left, along with a couple other women and then the apostle John, who were at the foot of the cross. 
When Joseph of Arimathea came and took the body of Christ and took it to the tomb, she followed. She followed to where he would be buried. So she knew up close and personal of what had happened. We read in Matthew 27, it says, Many women were there, this is at the cross, watching at a distance, from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So you see, she was... She was very much a part of this entire story, this narrative of Jesus' ministry early on and and then throughout his life to his crucifixion and then to his death and to his burial. So there are three observations I want to talk about in her life and then what the aftermath of, of what she experienced in knowing Christ. The first observation is this. Our lives, and I'll say these slow because the main screen is not working today, Our lives are not so messed up that Jesus cannot restore them. Our lives are not so messed up that Jesus cannot restore them. It's interesting, in a book entitled All the Women of the Bible, we find this phrase, and this is not an uncommon understanding about the number seven. Seven is a mystical number suggesting completeness. Now, that is something kind of universally accepted as you, as you study Scripture. Seven is a number of completeness. Now, listen to this. Implying, implying that when the evil spirits dominated Mary, the suffering was extremely severe. She was overwhelmed with need, completely and totally done. No hope, no future. I cannot imagine the trauma in this woman's life. And you notice when Jesus first encounters her, or when we first encounter Mary, what do we learn of her? That Jesus had healed her of seven demons. In other words, this was a woman without hope. This was a woman who was crushed, who was overwhelmed, who was traumatized, who was suffering incredibly. When everybody else may have given up hope on her, Jesus didn't. Think about it. Think about the trauma and the difficulties and the challenges that you and I walk through. Or or those that we have relationship with who are in very, very deep and dark places. A lot of times we just simply give up. Maurice Casey, who wrote Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he he writes this. He says, Mary must have suffered from severe emotional or psychological trauma. She was battered and bruised, injured and in agony from the suffering of demon possession Mary lost all control and dignity along with everything she knew in her previous life. Beauty and wealth did, now hear this, beauty and wealth did not spare her from the evil that assailed and attacked her every hour of every day. Do we understand the challenge and the difficulty, the hurt and the pain and the suffering and the trauma, emotional wounding that has happened in this woman's life and it was non-stop and you're saying, man, can I relate to that? I get it. It sounds like my life, or it sounds like the life of. And I've been walking with him, and I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. 
You see, we may look at this account and, and say, well, you know, this is 2,000 years removed. I mean, I, I mean, I can't relate with this. I'm dismiss it. We just kind of walk away from it. Well, that was Mary. It's passed. It's over with and done. But the reality is, in early in Jesus' ministry, he was in a synagogue And he walked up and he took a hold of the scroll that was up front. He was going to be the reader for the day. And he read from Isaiah chapter 61. And this is what he read. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now hear this. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will see. That the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Understand this. Jesus came to set captives free and to heal broken hearts. When everybody else may have looked at Mary and said, there is no hope. Jesus said, that's why I came, was to set you free. And he set her free. Understand, understand. You might be in a very dark place today. You may know someone who's in a dark place today. But they're not too far away. They're not so messed up that Jesus can't restore their life. There is still hope for you. Yet, Proverbs says, it's because of Jesus. Many years ago, Marcy and I were, were serving in a church in Ohio, and the pastor and I were having a conversation one day, and there was a, there was a young man who was a part of our church, and, and there's no other way to really describe him other than just, he was just his mind was just kind of gone. He was just kind of done. There really didn't seem to be much hope for this young man. And in fact, we, we kind of discussed it as a staff. It's just like, just not much we can do. You see, he had he just kind of blown his mind out on the experimentation with all kinds of drugs. He was just done. And we just, I guess, I'm not proud of saying this. We just kind of gave up. Just kind of gave up and moved on. About 10 years later, we were serving in a congregation in Northern California. A young man came into the church. His parents had been a part of the church for years. And John came in, and I remember the, one of the first conversations I had with John. He was, it, was almost an, it was almost impossible to carry on a conversation with him. His, his mind, again, he had, been very, he had experimented with drugs, and he was just gone. It was hard to carry on a conversation with him. He was disjointed. He didn't, he didn't have a lot of coherency of what was happening around him. I can still see him, I can see him in my mind's eye and just thinking, what, what is going to happen? But here's what he determined. He said, I'm here today to give my life to Christ. He sat on this side of the auditorium, right down in front. I had the honor and the privilege of praying with him along with some others and He gave his life to Christ. And I want to tell you, over the next five years, we saw this young man transformed by the power of God. God did something in his life that only God can do. When everybody else had given up on John, Jesus did not give up on John. And I will tell you, he does not give up on us. If you are hopeless this morning, if you are hurting, if you are in the midst of emotional difficulty, if there is trauma in your life, if you are injured, if there is sorrow, if there is a past, I want you to know Jesus is your hope. He was Mary's hope. And you see, sometimes we just think there's no way, but there's always a way with Christ. Don't ever forget it. 
Your situation's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. And the reason is, is Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. That's our promise. Second observation this morning is that our devotion to Jesus should be motivated by gratitude. Our devotion to Jesus should be motivated by gratitude. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and I'm, some of you are going to be so bold, you're going to answer this by raising your hand. Here we go. How many of you write thank you notes or thank you cards? Only about 12 of us. Okay. Thank you. No, you know, so I think more of you do it. And here's, here's what I've figured out. This is really profound. You might want to write this down. We write a thank you note because we're grateful. Profound, right? And it's like, duh, was I supposed to write that down? That's like, so, it's, of course, that's why we do it. I can't prove this. I cannot prove this. But I am absolutely convinced what Mary did, how, what Mary's response was through the remainder of her life was based on gratitude for what Jesus had done for her. Make no mistake, if, if Mary had seven demons and Jesus delivered her from those, that demonic oppression and those demonic powers in her life, she would be forever grateful for what Jesus has done. But make no mistake as well, Jesus has delivered you and I and we should respond to him in gratitude. Our devotion to God should never be obligated. We shouldn't be obligated. We should do so because we are so thankful for what he's done for us. It's just true. And there are three different things that I see in how she expressed it. The first way is that she followed Jesus. She followed him. Now, that doesn't seem like much, but she went from village to village. Everywhere he went, she went. I think about that because I use the term a lot, Christ follower. I don't use the word Christian very often. I use the word Christ follower. And I think the reason I do is I really want to be characterized as someone who follows Christ. I don't want to just be called a name. I want my life to live up to this following of Jesus. And she did so, and I think we should. We should follow obediently. She did so. She, I, I think she came to faith. Christ did something amazing in her, and she began to apply what, what Jesus was teaching. Listen to what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7 of the book of Matthew, he said, Therefore anyone or everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. There's the obedience side. It's like a wise man who did what? Built his house upon a rock. There's obedience to following Christ. You see, we are to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow Jesus. There's obedience to this. The second way that she followed is she followed his example. And we are as well. Jesus, in the, just before he was crucified, we read this, John chapter 13. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash each other's feet. And this is the part that's so significant. I did this as an example so that you should do as I have done. And you're saying, oh, man, is this going to get weird? Are we going to have to wash people's feet now? No. Not at all. That's not what this is. It's about obedience. It, I mean, it's about humility. There, there, is a humble, there is a humble nature to Christ, and we do so by following that humility in his life. And the third way that she followed is that she followed with faith. She followed Jesus with faith. And how, how much more so should that be for us? We don't have the benefit of sight, but we are to follow by faith. Mark eleven twenty two. 22, Jesus answered, have faith in 
God. We follow by faith. The second way is that we see her expressing devotion, gratitude, is through her support. She supported Jesus. She did so by being very loyal to him. There's something to be said about being loyal. Have you ever heard the phrase, I, I, love, I love dogs. We don't have a dog. I love dogs. We don't have one. We just don't have a home that really fits having a dog. But there's a phrase, and I may get it not exactly right. So if, if you need to correct me, please do so at the conclusion, not in the middle of the service. That, would, that, would, that wouldn't work. But wait a little bit. You know, Lord, let me be the, Lord, let me be the person the dog, my dog thinks I am. Right? Dogs are extraordinarily loyal. They're, they're, and they always love you, no matter what. It's just amazing. Now, I'm not suggesting we would be like a golden retriever here. That's not the point. But the point is, loyalty is significant. And I believe that loyalty to Christ is significant. Mary exemplified that. Notice, she began to follow Christ. She supported him by being there. She was there when everybody else left. She was at the cross. She followed the body to to the tomb. I mean, think about it. She was loyal to Jesus. I hope I am as well. And and this loyalty could be expressed in a a hymn that I grew up singing, and you may may know it as well as a stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. What does that mean? It means I'm loyal no matter what. I'm not giving up on Christ. Why? Because he's done so much for me. Be loyal to him. Remember Romans chapter 1, for I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Be loyal. And then also she supported Jesus out of by her own means. Some believe that Mary was a woman of means, that she had good financial resources, and she supported Jesus out of those resources. And I think about this in the context of, of how we, we, we give to the Lord. We give to our local church, etc. We did missions this morning, like this kind of thing. But Often, I think we feel as if we have to give out of obligation. You know, we should always give out of gratitude because of what Christ has done in us. When we give out of gratitude, it changes the whole perspective. Nobody, nobody should give being compelled to give. It shouldn't be, we shouldn't give to the Lord because we're being compelled to. We give because we have been given so much. Do we, I don't know, do, do we fully understand, do we fully comprehend how much God has done for us? The greatest expression of generosity was when God sent his one and only son to die for us. Out of respect, out of honor to Christ, or out of honor to God, we give back what he has given to us. One of my favorite verses is, the message paraphrase of Proverbs eleven twenty four says, The world of the generous grows larger and larger. Let it be so. Let it be said of us. And then not only did she follow Jesus and support Jesus, but she loved him. She loved Jesus. And there's no question about her love. She was at the crucifixion. She, she followed the body to the tomb. 
And then on, on that Easter Sunday morning, you will recall, she's having a conversation with Jesus. She didn't know it was Jesus at that moment. Thought it was the gardener. And she says this. She said, look, tell me where you've taken him. And I'll go get the body. Think about that for a moment. Let's just say Jesus is my size, 100 and whatever pounds. Plus 75 pounds of ointments to prepare the body for burial, which the body had already been wrapped. Remember, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had done that on the Friday night after crucifixion. So now you've got whatever Jesus weighed plus 75 pounds, and you have this little woman who has been crying for days. She's still crying at the tomb. She says, just tell me where the body is, and I'll go get the body. Talk about loyalty. Talk about love. Why wouldn't she love Jesus Look at what he had done for her. Why wouldn't she express loyalty? Why wouldn't she follow him everywhere? Because he had done so much for her. Do we understand the gravity of this 21 centuries later? Jesus is still the one doing these amazing things in your life and in my life. Do we follow out of gratitude? Do, do we support out of gratitude? Do we love him do we love him? There's another woman in, in the life of Christ in Luke chapter 7. Some believe this is Mary Magdalene, but the texts and the research doesn't bear out the fact that it was. But Jesus is having dinner at a, at a religious leader's home. And a woman comes in and with an expensive, some expensive ointment. She pours this ointment on Jesus' feet. She weeps as she washes his feet. And the religious leader said this, he said, or thought this, says if this was really a prophet, he would know that this is an evil, a, a wicked woman who's doing this. And Jesus responds so powerfully. He said she was, and I love the way again the message says it, and I want you to catch the language. She was forgiven many Many sins. And she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. I look at my own life and I, I said, I'm just so blessed. I grew up in such a good environment. I grew up in a pastor's home. I've had every advantage. I, I've never really strayed so far away from the things of God. I don't have a storied past. I, I don't have this, this incredible story out here that's so messed up. And I don't have that. And I wonder, because of it, I wonder how much I really love Jesus. I really wonder, how's my gratitude? Here's a phrase. How deep is your love? And how great is your gratitude? How deep is your love and how great is your gratitude? You say, but yeah, I'm kind of like you, Gary. My, I don't, my, my past is pretty tame. And while it may be tame and mine may be tame, I want you to know this. Hear this, please. No matter who we are, every one of us in this room is a sinner in need of a Savior. Isaiah said it well, all of us like sheep 
straight away. We've left God's path to follow our own, yet it was the Lord's will. Yet, it was the, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Paul said, Romans 3, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. I love this, yet, verse 24, yet God, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Understand, regardless of what our past might look like, we were all sinners in need of a Savior, and by his grace, we have been saved. I should be grateful to my last breath. With every ounce of energy, I should give God thanks for what he has done in me. I can't resist being a little bit more old school and going back to a gospel song I grew up singing. When I was doing this part of the message, I started singing it, and I said, okay, I got to put it in. I got to put it in. Come, ye sinners lost and lonely. Jesus' blood can make you free. For he saved the worst among us when he saved a wretch like me. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Please understand, Mary was a woman who had had no hope until Jesus delivered her. She was grateful and she expressed it. I hope we will as also. The last observation is our hope and faith can potentially derail when the unanticipated occurs. Our hope and faith can potentially derail when the unanticipated occurs. There's no indication that Mary's faith derailed, none. But I want you to understand something. When she's at the tomb, this is probably the third day in a row she's been crying. She's weeping. She's weeping because the one who delivered her is dead. She didn't expect that. This is unanticipated. You say, well, yeah, but Jesus is alive, so everything changes. But understand, put yourself in her spot at that moment. You see... This was an unanticipated crisis. And it, the potential of that is it can derail faith. And, and I think all of us can say, yeah, that's true. I can see how that could happen. A few years ago, Nationwide Insurance, they did one of the most, to me, it's still very, very profound. They did a little tagline on, their, on a series of commercials, and it was this tagline, life comes at you fast. There is no truer statement ever spoken and life comes at you fast. Not only does it come at you fast, sometimes it comes at you in di- from directions you had no idea that it would ever appear. And it just simply derails us. You see, we come to faith. We, we put our trust and our hope and, our, and all of our energies into the things of God. And then something happens and it's a crisis of faith. And we don't know what to do with it at that moment. And the potential is there for it to derail our faith, for us to walk away. I cannot tell you. I've been, Marcy and I have been doing ministry now for 40 plus years. It's hard for me to even believe. I'm, I, when you're only 39 years old, it's even more difficult to believe. But over 40 years I've been doing ministry, and I cannot tell you how many times I have witnessed when something catastrophic happens in a person's life, the first place they go is out of the church rather than to the altar. 
They walk away from God rather than to God. The only place that we can find the solace, the help, the peace, and the comfort is in the things of God. It's not away from. You see, her wealth and her beauty did not sustain her in that seven demon lifestyle. It was only the delivering power of Christ that made the difference. And you see, Jesus talked about it. He said, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word. Now listen to this. Hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. What happens? Their faith has been derailed. Because of the things that come and press and push. Life has gone sideways. Life has come fast. They don't know what to do with it. Think about Mary for a moment. What was she thinking at the foot of the cross? The one who delivered me. The demons are gone. He's dead. What is going to happen to me? Are they going to come back? What's tomorrow morning going to look like? Dude, am I going to have any hope? Well, because the one who gave me hope is gone. Do you see the trauma, the difficulty? Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, which is the irony of all ironies. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Now listen, that it would be necessary for him to go to Jerusalem that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the Lord's law, that he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Understand, he was making it clear and plain to those who had been following him, but they did not hear, that did not register in them the truth that was there. Even so, the twelve didn't get it, nor did Mary. And the uncertainty of life remained. Will my freedom remain? Will the evil that characterized my life return? Can you imagine? Maybe we can. So when we come to the idea of the aftermath, what, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? Things are about to change for Mary. In fact, everything's going to change for her. Because Jesus is alive. So here are three observations as we bring our time to a close this morning. The first is this. Know Jesus so well that even in the fog of life, you recognize his voice. Hear this. She has been weeping for days. She's at the tomb. And the person she thinks is the gardener walks up behind her and says, what are you crying about? And she said, I don't know where they've taken My Lord, and then Jesus says this profound word, Mary. That's all it took. And she turned around and she said, Rabboni. She knew him. She knew him. Because I want to tell you something. When I weep, and I have done a bit this morning. It's allergies, I'm sure. When I weep, I can't see anything. And when I take off my glasses, it's even worse. I'm in a fog. 
I believe Mary's eyes were clouded. She couldn't see. She couldn't discern. But man, when she heard the voice of Jesus call out her name, she knew exactly who it was. And everything that she had seen and heard and experienced as she followed Jesus came back to her heart and to her mind. And she knew it was all good because Jesus is alive. Understand this, Jesus is alive today. And even though the fog of life will cloud your vision and there will be confusion and there will be things that will go off the rails and things are going to go sideways and everything's going to be messed up, understand this, there is still a hope for you because Jesus is alive. That is the aftermath of the resurrection. That's what happens. John chapter 10, Jesus said he brings all his sheep out. He goes ahead of them and leads them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Do you know his voice? You say, sometimes I do and sometimes I'm not sure. I get that. Can I encourage you? Pour yourself into the word of God and you will learn his voice. You will know him. Know him. Second observation is learn to rely upon the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, we become the repository of the presence of God himself. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives with us. He lives in us. And we have to rely on that. And I believe we see in this particular encounter with Mary at the tomb, we see something happen. What does Mary do? She reaches out to grab him. And Jesus says, don't do it. Because something is happening. There is a transition that is taking place from the physical presence of Jesus to the spiritual reality that will be with her the remainder of her life and is with us. And we have to depend upon not the physical presence that he is with us. We know he is here in spirit. We know that he lives within us by his spirit. But we are to rely upon his presence within us. And we've got to nurture that every day. Every moment of every day. Jesus said, John 16, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Catch that. It is for your benefit. Things get better because he leaves. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come. If I go, I will send him to you. Understand, the presence of the Spirit, the presence of the living God is right here, right among us, and in each one of us who call Christ Lord. He's here with us. We have to rely on him. The third observation is finally, be active in sharing our faith and enjoy the comfort of Christ's presence. This is, this is really critical. I want to emphasize the and. That's why I have it in the notes as, as all capitalized. Why? It's not a matter that we don't enjoy the presence of Christ but it's not the only thing we are to do. In fact, what does Jesus tell Mary? It says, look, verse, chapter 20, verse 17. Do not hold on to me. Go instead. Do not hold on to me. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. Jesus called her to action, not just to sit and bask in the presence of the risen Savior. While that is great and we need to do that, there is more to our life than sitting in the presence of Christ. It is to be activated in our faith. 
and to share what God has done in us. In fact, Bruce Milne would write it this way. He says, tragically over the centuries, the Christian community has shown far greater interest in sitting at Jesus' feet, holding on to him amid the comfort of his presence than in going out into the world to share the good news of the risen Lord with broken and needy hearts who have as valid a claim to know him as we do. It is not that we should not bask in the presence of Christ. We should. But we are called to more than sitting in the presence of Christ. We are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That He is risen. And there is hope for this life and the next because He is. Hallelujah. May our obedience rival Mary's. The aftermath of the resurrection changed her. She became the first witness. Understand this, the first witness to the risen Savior. If you're going to promote a hoax, you don't send a woman in the first century because they were an invalid witness. So that's not a hoax. It became a truth. And forever she will be known as the one, the first one to trumpet the fact that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It was Mary. That was the aftermath of the resurrection. So this last thought, the aftermath of the resurrection relieves our sorrows, restores our hope, and activates our faith. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that in these moments, doing us as you desire to do. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen, amen.